to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The thing about Abram that's so encouraging, I think, as we're going to go through his life, it's encouraging to see how God is so faithful to keep his promises even in the face of human weakness, failure, in the face of the great man of faith not having any faith. Because sometimes I think we get the wrong impression. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis chapter 12 in a message titled, Abraham, the Man of Faith. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Let's open up our Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, and as we come to the 12th chapter, we come to a new section in the book of Genesis. As I have previously mentioned, the book of Genesis is divided by four great events and then by the lives of four great men. We've already considered those events. Just a reminder, the creation, the fall, the flood, and then the dispersion at Babel. And so now we come to the next section, the division between the four great men, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. As we follow along in this history of redemption, and keep that in mind as we're going through Genesis and, and really as we go through the Bible in the, in the historical aspect of it, what the Bible is, is it's the history of redemption. It's not the history of mankind. It's not the history of civilization. It's not the history of various cultures, although those are touched on to some degree. It is specifically the history of, the, of redemption. It, it is the history of God's work in the world to save mankind. And as we pointed out previously, if we understand it that way, it's going to help us not to get tripped up over, well, you know, well, why didn't the Bible talk about this? And well, what about that civilization? And well, I heard that there were these people that did this and how come the Bible didn't mention that? But if we, if we keep in mind, you know, that it is specifically the history of redemption, we will avoid all that. So we come in this history of redemption now to the life of Abraham or Abram as he was originally called. Now, Abraham is, of course, the father of the Jewish nation. He is also the father of the Christian faith. Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. He is the father of the Christian faith. Now, a mythological version of Abraham was invented and developed by Islam. But historically, 
there is no connection whatsoever between Abraham and Islam. And I make this point because perhaps you've heard this. I've heard this uh, many times over, and I've seen it in print many times. Uh, Abraham is referred to as, as the father of the three great monotheistic faiths, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And yes, of course, if you talk to Muslims, they will, they will try to lay claim to Abraham, but it's not the historical Abraham. It's a, it's a mythological Abraham. They, of course, borrowed Abraham from the scriptures, but then, as I said, they, they sort of reinvented him and turned him into a Muslim. So we can dismiss that as mythology. Abraham lived approximately 2000 BC. We don't know the exact dates, of course, and you can give or take 100 or in some cases, perhaps even 200 years there. So three to 500 years have transpired since the flood. Three to 500 years. Now, in one, in one sense, that doesn't sound like all that long of a period of time, and a lot has developed since the flood. So, you know, on the one hand, it doesn't seem like all that long of a period of time, but yet on the other hand, you know, three to 500 years is, it is actually a long time. And so what has happened since the flood is that the, the earth has been greatly repopulated. We, of course, saw how God brought that, that judgment upon man and, and scattered people all over the earth so that they might be fruitful and multiply as he commanded them to do and filled the earth. And so many nations have, have developed and, and civilizations have sprung up. And so we're reading about people who lived in those earliest civilizations. If you pick up a a book on world history, a textbook from a, from a classroom or you just, you go down to borders and you go to the history rack and you just, you know, pick up a book on world history. Every book on world history starts after they get through the whole prehistorical thing, which is just speculation, basically. But, but every history book starts with the, what we might call the Babylonian uh, civilization the kingdoms of Sumar and Akkad. And that civilization that developed in what we would know today as Iraq. And Abraham was a, he was a, a citizen of that particular civilization. And, and so every history starts with the that Babylonian, Sumerian, Akkadian uh, civilization, and then it moves from there to the Egyptian civilization. And hands down, all historians do agree that the Babylonian and the Egyptian were the first two civilizations. Now, of course, we know that there was uh, a civilization that existed prior to that, a massive civilization, but that civilization was obliterated through the flood. So really, history only goes back six, eight, maybe 10,000 years at the most, recorded history. 
So Abraham, he was there. He was part of that original civilization. Now, with Abraham, an entirely new period may be said to begin. So in a sense, what's happening here, you know, it's, it's almost sort of a repeat in some senses of what happened after the flood. What did God do with the flood? He destroyed everything with the exception of Noah and his family. And, and why did God do that? Because man and the earth had become thoroughly corrupted. And because man was so thoroughly corrupted, in order for God to ultimately fulfill his promise that he gave to Adam and Eve back in the garden, that, that possibility was being jeopardized by human sin. So God destroys man in his sin. He preserves Noah and his family. And, and essentially, what does God do? He, he sort of starts over again. But it doesn't take long. And, and we saw even you know, shortly after the flood, as we looked at some of the uh, post-flood events uh, with Nimrod and, and some of the different individuals back then, the rebellion, it, it didn't take long for that to, to resurface. And now, 300 years maybe have passed, maybe, maybe maximum 500 years, and we're back to the same situation where man, for the most part, has thoroughly corrupted himself. And, and this man, Abram, he lives in a totally idolatrous society. The city that he lives in is actually the center of the worship of the moon god. And so, once again, God is having to start fresh. But what he does this time is he chooses a man and he is going to create a new race, if you will. He's going to create a new strain within the human family that is going to be committed to him and, and the vehicle through which he is going to accomplish his will and the promises that he made all the way back in the garden. So Abraham was to be the ancestor of a new race in whom the divine promises were to be preserved and through whom they would be finally realized. Abram was a Mesopotamian. We, of course, think of him as the, the father of the Jewish people. And, of course, he became that. But Abraham himself, he was not a Jew in, in the sense that we think of the Jewish people today. He, he wasn't an Israelite. Of course, his grandson was the one who was named by God Israel. So Abraham was a Mesopotamian. He was a Babylonian. He was from the city of Ur. And as I said, in modern-day Iraq, southern Iraq, if you look on a map today and you look at Basra, we're familiar with Basra. We've heard about it on the news many times. And if you just go a little bit north and uh, a little bit west, you will see Ur. That's the place that Abram was from. And so, as I said, this, this city was named after the ancient moon god, and it was the center of worship for the Babylonian moon god. And according to Joshua 24, verse 2, Abram's ancestors, including 
his father Terah, they worshipped other gods, most probably the moon god. Now, I think a lot of times we living in this modern age that we live in, we tend to think of ancient people as, you know, somehow not as intelligent as we are or not as sophisticated as we are or, or not as civilized as we are. And of course, we have this residual effect of evolutionary theory. So the further back you think, you think the more primitive man is. And, you know, finally, to where you get back to the cave dweller and all of that sort of thing. History and archaeology totally refute those kinds of ideas. The civilization that Abram lived in was a very advanced civilization. And in many ways, those ancient civilizations were, were very similar to our present civilization, just with a few exceptions. They didn't have electricity. They didn't have, you know, some of the advancements in technology that we have. And of course, medical technology and things like that that have developed, they didn't have a lot of that. But they, it seems that they might have had practices and things that we still don't quite understand. But this man, Abram, he lived in the city of Ur at the height of its splendor. And the city was a prosperous center of religion and industry. And through archaeological excavation, thousands of recovered clay documents or, or tablets, cuneiform tablets that have, have been discovered, they attest to a thriving business community in this city of Ur. And perhaps as many as almost a half a million people living in that area. So, you know, this is somewhat of a metropolis. Excavations of the Royal Cemetery have revealed a surprisingly advanced culture, particularly in, in the arts and crafts. So this is the background. And, you know, here's something to me that it's just, it's so fascinating because I'm reading about Ur, I'm reading about Abraham. I'm reading about that whole region that we're going to look at in my Bible today. But I'm also reading about it in my newspaper today as well. You know, it, it's astounding to me in that it just seems like, you know, everything has come back around to where it all began. And the center of world conflict presently is in the place that we are looking at here in our Bibles tonight. And it's all come back around. And as you know, many of the struggles and, and problems and, and the conflicts are rooted in ideas and beliefs that go back thousands of years. So it, it's amazing, it's astounding to me how current the Bible is. And so with that little introduction to Abraham, whom we will call Abram for the time being, we begin chapter 12, verse one. Look what it says. It says, now the Lord had said, the Lord had said to Abram, 
get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. So chapter 12 picks up with telling us that God had spoken already to Abram. Now, if we just go back a few verses into chapter 11, we're gonna find out some interesting things. Let me read from verse 27. This is a genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah, now listen to this. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. That's important information right there. Go back to what we're told about Abram. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, away from your family, and from your father's house, go to a land that I will show you. It's interesting, when you read in those previous verses, Terah seems to be the one in charge. But what we know from the text here is that it was Abram that God actually had spoken to, and he told him specifically to get out of his father's house. Now, we know, as I mentioned earlier, we know from Joshua that Terah was an idolater. He was an idol worshiper. Now, some have assumed, based on that, that, well, Abram must have been as well. I don't necessarily think so. It could very well be because there were still, you know, individuals here and there who were holding fast to the revelation that had been given by God in the earlier days. And it could very well be that Abram was one of those individuals who was still seeking the true and the living God. But in the New Testament, we're told in Acts chapter seven, we are told that the God of glory appeared to Abraham while he was living in Mesopotamia. So again, we don't know any of the details of of how this happened, but there came a point in this man's life, in the life of this Mesopotamian, Abram, there came a point where the God of glory, the God of the Bible, the God of Adam and Eve, the God of Noah, after perhaps a a prolonged period of silence, this God appears to Abram and he commissions him. And he tells him specifically that he is to get out of that country. He is to get out of the country He's to separate from his family and he is to 
leave his father's house. But yet, in the previous verses, as we saw, it says that Terah, he took Abram. He took Abram's wife, Sarai. He took his grandson, Lot, and he led them out going ostensibly to the land of Canaan, but then they end up in Haran. So, you know, here's, here's what we see, I think. Abram, and of course he will become Abraham, we speak of him, and the New Testament speaks of him, as the father of faith. And what we are looking at here it is simply the beginning of his journey of faith. And you see, here's the reality. Nobody becomes a great man or woman of faith overnight. Nobody has an, an instant kind of a faith where they are just, you know, from that moment forward, filled with faith. They never falter. They never waver. They don't have to grow or progress. They just, you know, go, go from faith to faith to greater faith to greater faith. It doesn't happen like that. It's a process. And the thing about Abram that's so encouraging, I think, as we're going to go through his life, it's encouraging to see how God is so faithful to keep his promises even in the face of human weakness, in the face of human failure, in the face of the great man of faith, not having any faith. Because sometimes I think we get the wrong impression. I think we think in order for God to do something in our lives, we've got to be perfect in faith. In order for God to do something in our lives, we've got to be you know, perfectly godly people, always consistently in the spirit and never doubting and never frustrated and never worried and never angered or anything like that. And you know what? That is simply not a reality. There's never been a person in the world that's ever been like that at all with the exception of one person. And that we know, of course, is Jesus himself. So we're gonna be encouraged because we're gonna see that the father of the faith had his own struggles. And again, I don't know for sure what happened, but I think what we see here immediately is we see the human weakness. God says, get away from your family. Leave your father's house. Get out of your country. And for Abram, this was difficult. Oh, Lord, but my daddy's older. You know, my, my brother's already died. And, and I think, here, here's what I think happened. I, I could be totally wrong, but I could just imagine this scenario. Abram has this encounter with the living God, this revelation. And he's sure that God has told him to do this, but he goes to his father and he says, Father, the, the true God, the living God, he has appeared to me. And he's told me that we're to leave here and he's told me that we're to go to this other place and he's going to give us this land. He's gonna make us a new people. Oh, Father, you don't need to worship these idols. Let's go serve the living God. And I'm sure Tara thought, well, okay.
October, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, The Air We Breathe, How We All Came to Believe in Freedom, Progress, Kindness, and Equality by Glenn Scrivener. Do you recoil at the ancient practice of slavery in the Bible? Do you value modern-day freedom and equality? Do you abhor the mistreatment of minorities by some in the Christian church? If you answered yes to just one of these questions, or even all of them, then chances are you have unknowingly inherited the biblical notions of redemption, freedom, equality, and compassion. In his book, The Air We Breathe, Glenn Scrivener argues that Christianity has been infused into Western culture so thoroughly that its values are simply taken for granted, and their Christian origins have gone unnoticed. No matter what you believe regarding the existence of God, this book will help you understand some of the values you cherish most. The book, The Air We Breathe, How We All Came to Believe in Freedom, Kindness, Progress, and Equality by Glenn Scrivener is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.